0: If you would, take your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Obviously, I'm dealing with something with my voice and chest and all that, so we'll try to get through this uh, today. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul um, explains to us uh, the fact that we have a spiritual battle here in this life. And uh, he explains that to us often and Paul also tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, when he writes these words, now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ who in presence and base among you being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walk according to the flesh. And he says this in verse three, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of, of Christ. The reality of this life is that we are in a spiritual battle. Whether you're a believer here or not, whether you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior or not, you are in a spiritual warfare. You can say, well, listen, I'm just trying to live this life. I'm just trying to be the best person I can. I'm just trying to, you know, raise my family. I'm just trying to do my job and all of those type of things. And and yes, we live here in this world. We dwell here in this world, but the reality is, is that each and every one of us are in a spiritual warfare. Satan is battling for your soul, for your eternity. And listen, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he's on the right track in your life. That's what he's trying to to make happen in your life. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, his desire is to keep you from serving God, from living the life that God wants you to live. So when we come to Colossians chapter 2, Paul's whole desire is to encourage believers. His whole goal is to to encourage those that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because listen, it's easy to get worn down. It's easy to to, to have your heart broken and to have anxiety and, and to have a lot of struggles from the pressures of this life. And so Paul wants to encourage us here in this life. And so in chapter In verse 1 he says, I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you. Paul himself is in prison and he is being persecuted for his faith. But he has such a burden for the church and for the believers there at the church in Colossae. Colossae, And he has a burden for us today. And so he writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As an encouragement to us in the day in which we live in. He says in verse 2, his desire is that their hearts might be might be comforted, being knit together in love and to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and the Father and of of Christ. I wanna I wanna be clear. You know, we live in a society today where we're kind of being pulled apart. And it's kind of like we, we kind of compartmentalize over our lives, and like, okay, we'll go to church, but then the rest of the time we live our lives separate from one another. And we kind of, even before COVID and then with COVID and the sicknesses that are going on, you know, we kind of, you know, use that as an excuse to isolate ourselves. And, and, and in all reality, God says, listen, as a believer in this world, isolation is your enemy, Isolation is not helpful to you. So he says, listen, you need to um, meet together in the book of Hebrews. You need to come together the more as you see the day approaching. More and more we should be meeting together and fellowshipping together and worshiping God together and praising God together. Because what happens in isolation, we are left alone to our own thoughts, our own imaginations, our own issues, and we sulk and we dwell on those things. And we become more and more uh, bitter, more and more under. And depression, anxiety, and all those type of things. So, as Paul says, "I want you to be knit together. Understand the importance of having a relationship with with God through Jesus Christ, and then having a relationship within the body of Christ, and being strengthened with one another." He wants us to be encouraged as we battle this warfare, and I, and I want you to see this. As he goes through this passage, he gives us this statement that sometimes we can just read very quickly and we miss the reality of it. And he says there, as you're going through this life, you need to be abounding with thanksgiving. Your life, as you go through this, must be filled with gratitude. And you might be sitting here and say, you know, pastor, I don't have much to be thankful for. And that's what Satan wants you to think. Listen, you don't understand the trials, the difficulties, the illnesses, the financial problems, you know, the interpersonal relationship issues I have, and and, and I understand we all go through uh, the issues of this life, and so that's why he's writing this. Listen, you're going through some things in life. You're having some struggles. You're having some battles. You're having some persecutions, but listen, you need to be encouraged in the Lord, and one of the, the great ways to do that is through living out a life of gratitude, Now, gratitude is both an evidence of our faith in Christ and also a help to the life of the believer. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Because that when they knew not God, listen to these words, when they knew not God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools so they knew not god or they knew god but they glorified him not as god nor were they thankful you see, the, the idea of thankfulness and gratitude is, a, is a, really an outward expression of our relationship with God and Jesus Christ, understanding who we are in Christ and what he's done for us. Because, if, listen, if we're not a believer, we're just living this life and we're, this is all it is. And listen, I would be miserable too, Paul. I mean, I would be miserable if, if I didn't know Jesus Christ as my Savior and, and this world was all I knew. But Paul wants to understand this world is not all there is. And so that's why God, over and over in scripture, in the very next ver- chapter we've talked about in the last several weeks, God says, get your mind off the things of this world and get your mind to the things above. Look at eternal things and the things that are actually really matter eternally because then you'll rejoice. Then you'll find joy and contentment and peace in your life. But if you're dwelling on the things of this life, that's when the struggles come. And so if we just look at the circumstances we're in, we're going to struggle. And that's where they were. And Paul says, I want your hearts to be knit together. I want you to be encouraged in, in the Lord. The Lord wants us to have a spirit of gratitude in all that we do and, and say. And the truth is, when we are grateful, I believe we will have greater happiness and satisfaction in our, in our lives. Because gratefulness means that we understand who we are in Christ and what God is truly doing in our life. So by definition, I looked up different definitions of gratitude and, and there's all kinds of different definitions you come out with. But I found this one and I really liked it. And I thought it was fitting for our sermon today. It said, gratitude is the practice of actively remembering and expressing. Gratitude is the practice of actively remembering and expressing the grace So the benefits that we do not deserve, the grace and the goodness bestowed in our lives. Let me say it again. Gratitude is the practice of actively remembering and expressing the grace and goodness bestowed in our lives. And really the whole picture there is, listen, we understand who God is, what he's doing in our life, and the blessings that we have from him. And that's what gratitude is. Father, we thank you for your word today, and I pray that you'd help us, Lord, in this area of gratitude, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look here in Colossians 2, the first thing I want you to see here is the problem. Why do we struggle? With gratitude uh, in our lives. Look with me at verse number four. The Bible says, and this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. So here's the first problem that we see when it comes to the issue of gratitude is that the world wants to deceive you. The world wants to deceive you. We are surrounded daily by the enemy and Satan and his demons want to deceive you in this spiritual battle because if he can deceive you when it comes to your spiritual life he's got you right where he wants you in John chapter 8 verse 44 this is what the Bible says "Ye are of your father the devil and the lust of your father ye will do he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because There is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So Satan's number one tool in our life is lies. You know, it's easy, when when I'm looking at my own life, my life is really, from my perspective, worse than it is. Do you understand that? When I'm looking at my life, you might look at my life and say, man, well, man, you have a great life. You have a great family, a great job, a great church. I mean, God is blessing you. But you know what? Oftentimes, Satan gets in and he, he helps me believe lies. That my life really isn't that great. Like, I got more problems than everybody else. And, and life is harder for me than it is for you. And, and that's how we do because we begin to compare ourselves. And, and I'll be honest with you. If, if you and I sat down, we could look, find some areas of your life that are better than my life. And I could become miserable because that, of that area. But I could also look, sit down and I could find some areas of my life that maybe are better than what your life is like. And so what happens is he, he gets us to only see the negative things uh, of life. You know, it's kind of like your job. Uh, you know, everybody that has a job, no matter how much you love it, has aspects that you don't like, right? And so I, I know people, they can't keep a job. Uh, the, the, every other month they're quitting their job. Why? Well, because of something they don't like. Something they don't like. They forget that they're getting a paycheck. They forget of the opportunity to work for a living and provide for their family. Listen, no matter what job you have, I love being a pastor. Right, I love it, and all the there's so much blessings of being a pastor. But listen, some days are just difficult. There's hardships with it. Listen, some of you, you know, you might be an electrician here, and listen, you might love being an electrician, but listen, you get zapped by electricity. You don't like that very much, right? I mean, that is a a hazard of your job. And if you get zapped by 220, you're just finished. I mean, that's just it. You're totally done being an electrician. There's there's hazards. There's things that we don't like about every job. You know there's you know. you know, I like working outside, unless it's January in Indiana, right? There's a, I mean, if you're working outside in July and August, it's not necessarily that bad. And some of you are thinking you're the exact opposite, right? You'd rather be out in January than August. And uh, listen, I'd rather play golf when it's 110 degrees outside uh, than, you know, 40 degrees outside personally. But, you know, there's all kinds of aspects, but it's from your perspective, what you see? But people can't hold a job because they only look at the bad things and the negative things about, about the job. And so what happens is we get focused on that and we forget about the blessings that come with that job. We do the same thing in every area of our life because Satan wants to come in and deceive you and bring in those lies. His weapons against us are lies and, and delusions. So he wants to destroy our faith. He wants to destroy our love our love for God, and you know, in our flesh, our flesh, we sympathize with his lies. In in our flesh, we think, wow, woe is me, but in our spirit, if we're really honest, we think, wow, look at how good we have it. Look at how great how great we have it. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, you know, complaining. And, you know, my favorite statement when somebody in America is complaining is, yeah, I understand you have your you know, your first world problems. You know, you're really struggling here. Uh, you know, um, you know, your car's not getting the gas mileage that you'd like for it to get. Or, you know, you had to go a day without air conditioning or something like that. And when we see that, we, those things add up and we start, wow, woe, woe is us because of all these problems. And Satan wants to creep into our life with these lies. And so Paul says in verse four, I'm saying these things, lest any man should beguile you with, with enticing words, deceive you um, and make you think something that is that is not true. The second thing, the problem we see in verse number eight, when he says, beware lest any man spoil you through, vain, through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. The second thing he does is the world wants to defile your thinking. They want you to believe lies or they want to corrupt your thinking by adding to, to Christ. They want to, they want to defile your belief system, defile your, your thinking. The word philosophy is used here, is, has the idea of, of speculation. The ideas that they were pushing were, he says were empty promises or vain deceit and there was no truth in them. And so what we see happening in our world today is there's a little bit of truth, but there's a lot of lies or there's uh, a lot of truth, but there's a little bit of deceit. Or lies. And so the world wants you to think um think contrary to the truth. And so this defiles your thinking. And and this is what happens all over. Hey, Pastor, why do we have so many churches? Why do we have so many denominations? Because Satan is coming into people's mind and he's distorting their their thinking. Well, how come this church doesn't believe this or that church doesn't believe this? Why? Because men are allowing the the the, the empty the vain thinking or philosophies of this world to creep in and they're mixing truth with error. And that's what he's saying. And it's defiling the truth. That's why there's a great struggle over the gospel today. What is the gospel? We act as if it's, it's difficult. Listen, if you come to the Bible and you study the scriptures on what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, listen, it is very clear. For by faith are you saved through grace and that not of yourselves. It's not a work of, it is a work of God. It's not of works. It's not of works yet, but yet so many in our world today have taken faith in Christ and works and added it there. Okay, you need to be, you need to believe in Jesus. They're not going to deny that, but then you need to be baptized or you need to go to church or you need to be a moral person. And so what happens is they take truth and they take error and they mix it together and they're defiling your thinking. And that's how Satan keeps people from accepting Christ as their savior. When you come to the Bible, the the, the Bible says that you have to turn from your sin and, and by faith accept Jesus Christ as your savior. So it uses the word repent and believe. Those are the words. There's no works in there. There's no doing this, doing that. You know, sometimes we think, well, I have to be good enough to believe. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna change my lifestyle and then once I think I've reached a certain standard of morality, then I'll get saved. And so what, what the world has done is is they've defiled your thinking they defiled the truth, and that's what Satan is trying to do. So many people today are not accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior and being saved and and, and having the forgiveness of sin because of the defilement of truth. They're religious, and they go through religious activity, but the truth has been defiled in their mind. Philosophy has been added to by this vain deceit. This is an attempt to alter the thinking um, of those that don't understand the truth or are not rooted in the truth and so this is done through philosophy unfortunately this is also done by the traditions of men that are passed down from generation to generation you know one thing i learned a long time ago is and um you know i i I, I truly honor my parents and um and my parents are in the room today and so i'm very careful when i say this but um one thing I learned a long time ago is God's word supersedes the traditions of my family. All right, God's word supersedes anything that has been passed down from my family. So therefore, I didn't have to believe my dad's ever taught me anything contrary to the word of God. But if he did, and I have to take what he says and compare it to the word of God, and if the word of God... Um, is something different than what he says or what my grandfather said or my great-grandfather said or my great-great-grandfather said, then the, the, the word of God is true. And that's what I have to believe. But what we've done in our world is we take the traditions of men and put them over the word of God. And so I know this is what the Bible says, but man, my mom told me this or my dad taught me this or my grandfather believed this. And, and listen, I, I'm so grateful for the heritage that God has given me in my life, and, and I hope that going forward, my children will examine what I've taught them based on the Word of God, and if they see that I'm teaching something contrary to Scripture, they'll follow God's Word, the truth, as opposed to what I taught them. Um, And so we defile them by the traditions uh, of men. And this is really what's happened really down through the centuries in many uh, religious institutions and organizations um, here. And this is done by the basic teaching of the world around us. This is the, the world's mindset. We just want to do whatever we can to defile, to defile. And so really the major problem here is if we listen to the world we're going to be defiled. That's really the big problem of our gratitude. We listen to the world. Hey, how bad you got it, um, you know, and, and how miserable your life is and how much better everybody else has it. And, it. and it gets us thinking that, you know, maybe God is not good. Maybe God doesn't care for us. Maybe God's word isn't true. And that's what the problem is. So no, first of all, we see the problem. listening, listening to, to the world. Number two, we see the command, the command then. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, the Bible says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 107, one, and, and so many others in the Psalm says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ. Jesus. Over and over in the scriptures, we are commanded by God to give thanks, to be thankful people. And so we come to Colossians chapter 2, and if you look with me, verse number 6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving abounding therein with thanksgiving now the reality is once you receive christ as your savior there are expectations for your life all right now i know what you're thinking oh here we go he's going to get into legalism now because anytime you talk about standards and expectations and, and rules for life listen listen the reality is is we don't serve god we don't do the things that we do in order to earn favor with god or to receive eternal life That's legalism. We live for God and serve God and do the things we do because we are believers in Jesus Christ out of a heart of gratitude to God. And so once we get saved, there is an expectation for our life. His desire is that we would follow Christ and, and sound teaching. And so here we have four characteristics of the Christian life that follow sound teaching. He tells us to be rooted in him. Rooted in him, stand firm like a tree that has its roots deep in the ground. We're to be built up in him. Built like a foundation uh, or a building that's under construction. It gives us this picture of, of constantly growing and being put together spiritually. Number three, to, we're to be established in the faith, having a strong foundation uh, in our life, which is to be founded in the Word of God. And then number four, we're to be abounding in thanksgiving, overflowing with, with gratitude. Now, the participles, the words that are being used here, has this uh, show us great meaning, and so I want to point this out. The first one here, the perfect tense, being rooted, um, shows the beginning of this new life in Christ, but the other three are used in the present tense. It shows the continuing action taking place. And so the command of God is that our life would constantly be filled with gratitude. By our words... But listen, they can be vain and empty, so therefore by our life, by our life, we need to live lives filled with thanksgiving and gratitude to God. That's God's expectation for our life, to be thankful. You go back to the Old Testament and you begin to see the work of God and, and the lives of his people and. You see him bring his people out of Egypt when they were enslaved and they go into the wilderness and God takes them from the slavery. And and so quickly, they forget the freedoms that they have in God and because of God in their life. And, And so they say, well, why did we leave this place? Maybe we should go back to Egypt. And then God reminds them again who he is and what he's doing in their life. And then, then they begin to murmur because they don't like, they, don't, they, they think they lack of water or food. And over and over you see God providing and, and the people then praise him for just a moment. And then something else happens and they murmur and they murmur. And what happens is they're not living lives of continual gratitude. They're not constantly focusing on who God is and what he's doing in their life, but they're constantly looking at their circumstances and their situations, and so they begin to murmur and grumble, and we are just like that so often in our lives, and so Paul tells us, abound. This should just be the natural outflowing of life. Listen, you should be a thankful person. You know, we expect our kids to be thankful. I, I, I know a lot of people don't. I hope that you do. Uh, but we expect our kids to be thankful. So when I give my children something and they turn and walk away, you know what I do? I stop them and I say, excuse me. And they'll turn around and this is what they'll do. They'll say, what? And then I smack, no, I'm just kidding. And then I, I say, what did you say? And they, then they'll say, sir, sir. And then I'll be like, what do you say? And they'll say, thank you. We go to a restaurant and somebody gives them a drink or food. I'll say, what do you say? Somebody gives them a piece of candy. I'll say to them, what do they, what do you say? Because I want them to be thankful. And yet we as adults so often approach God the same exact way. God gives us blessings and we think we deserve it and it's expected and we just turn and we walk away. So when that blessing runs out or doesn't turn out the way that we think it should turn out, we begin to grumble and murmur because we weren't weren't thankful in the first place. It doesn't take long, it does not take long in this life to become a murmur and a grumbler and be discontented unless you are a grateful person and your life is abounding with gratitude That's God's command to us. As you're living this Christian life, listen, you need to go to church. You need to be in worship, communal worship, community worship with the body of Christ. You need to serve God with your life. If you're a believer, you need to find opportunities to serve God. Listen, we need to preach the gospel, right? That's something that we should do. God tells us to take the gospel to every creature and preach it to every creature. And we should look for every opportunity to share our faith with those around us. And we would not deny that. All those things are true. So is being thankful and filled with gratitude and living a life of gratitude. It should be a natural reaction for a Christian to share their faith. It should be a natural reaction for us to um, show gratitude and yet how we struggle in those areas of our life. But that's who we should be, that's God's expectation. Then number three, probably the most important point of this whole sermon is why? What's the reason? that we should give gratitude. Look with me at verse number nine. For in him, speaking of Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of the principality and power. The word for there in verse number nine indicates that Paul's about to give us the reason we should be uh, rooted, we should be established, we should be abounding with thankfulness and gratitude. Number one, it's because of who he is. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is, he is God. Listen to these words in Lamentations chapter three. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. I love those words. This I brought back to memory, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. It it is because of God that we have all that we have and that we're not being destroyed. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him who he is. He is God, and he is so good to us. Isn't it amazing how good he is to us when we so often fail him? But it's not only about who he is, but it's about what he does. In Lamentations, it talks about his goodness and his faithfulness, but we see all throughout the Bible all that God does. uh, Probably one of the biggest ones, he he protects us, He takes care of us and promises to be our refuge. And then in Psalm 31 19, the Bible says, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. He provides for us. I mean, in his goodness, he provides for us. And listen, there's no people on earth that should be filled with gratitude more than the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have so many blessings in Him. But even just being alive today, being an American today, being here the opportunities we have, God is goodness over and over and over again. One of the great blessings that God's done for your life is the opportunity to hear the gospel. There are many people today that won't hear the name of Jesus Christ spoken today, but yet we get to gather together, hear these wonderful songs that talk about the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, read these passages and and preach on his word. What a blessing it is today to simply be, number one, if you are saved, reminded of the gospel, but number two, if you're not saved here, to hear how you could have your sins forgiven. God is so good to us, and we so often take that for granted. Why should we be thankful? Because of who he is. In him, he is God that came and died on the cross for our sin, expressing his goodness, his love, his mercy, his grace to us. And yet we so often take it for granted. And then number two, not only for who he is, but for who we are in him. Look at that next verse, we are complete. We are complete in him. Peter tells us that we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. Peter tells us that we have everything that we need to to receive eternal life and then to live our lives for God and to glorify him with our lives. We have it all in Jesus Christ. Romans tells us there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Listen, we glory in those words, but I want you to stop and think about that for just a moment. Well, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. But what about those that aren't in Christ? There is condemnation, there is judgment, and that, that, is, that is coming. You think about that for just a moment. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, there's no condemnation. Your eternal destiny is a place that is, we call heaven because it's the presence of God, and we'll dwell with him and we'll serve him for all eternity. That's who we are in Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation in him. We get excited about a lot of things in our life. And yet we take for granted who we are in Christ. You know, we're proud of a lot of our associations in, Christ, or in this world. You know, when we're, we're a sports fan, our team wins, we're proud of that, we're excited about that, we're thrilled, we're pumped about that. Yeah, pastor, I know there's no condemnation in Christ. Yeah, I know I'm going to, I'm going to heaven. Listen, people, our priorities are mixed up. Our attention is set on the wrong things in life. What thrills our soul is messed up. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Think about that for just, for just a moment. We have been set free. We have peace with God according to Romans chapter 5. We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God. We sang that wonderful song, Jesus, thank you. We went from being the enemy of God to being at peace with God. We've been made alive. The Bible says we've been quickened in Ephesians chapter chapter two. Spiritually, we are made perfect in Christ. Notice what he says, ye are complete in him, which is the head of principality and, and power. So bring it back to what I started off with. We are in a spiritual warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. But you know who's overcome that? Jesus. He is the head of everything. We have victory through Jesus Christ. And so when we think about the warfare that we are in, ultimately we have victory. And you know what? Daily we can have victory. And I think one of the sources of that victory Is abounding in gratitude. Abounding in gratitude. Because our attention is then on who He is and who we are in Christ and all that we have because of Him. But when we're not focused on that and we're just focused on this life, it's difficult. It's tough. We struggle stop serving, stop going to church, we become bitter and depressed and, and all the other things out there that this world brings. We're in a spiritual warfare, but you know what? Jesus Christ has won the victory for us. And daily, he wants us to have the victory. And so that's what Paul says. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be strengthened in your walk with God and with your, in your life together, being knit together that your hearts might be, what, comforted comforted. Listen, life is going to be difficult. It is for everybody. But we can go through this life with joy and peace and contentment if we understand the importance of of gratitude. Practically, think about it for just a moment. You do a service for somebody and they treat you as if you don't exist. What's your reaction? That, re- that, that relationship is fractured, isn't it? Like you, you do something kind for somebody and they just act like it was no big deal. Maybe you sacrifice something of your own to, to be a blessing to somebody else. Whether it's financial or material things or time. And they just act like they just walk all over it. Like it's no big deal. What happens? That relationship is is fractured there. You know, it's amazing. We do that oftentimes to God. We do that oftentimes to God. And and God is still there loving us and caring for us and sustaining us. And the issues in the relationship are simply on our end. We struggle. We have trials and difficulties. And we're floundering here because of our lack of gratitude. We have so much expectation for other people, and yet we mistreat God so often. And then we bring the consequences of being deceived by this world, following the world's ways and the world's systems, and it's tragic to see Christians, to see unbelievers that are deceived. And I hope today that you'll understand the importance of gratitude. Not just this week at Thanksgiving, but day by day. The importance because the, the, the joy, the contentment, the happiness that your life will have. Not removing all the trials and circumstances, but through those circumstances. Because our attention will be set on God, who has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And so, though we walk through these things, he has promised to walk through them with us. If you're here today, and my friend, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, I want you to understand that Christ died for your sin. And if you'll, turn, or if you'll turn from your sin and by faith accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, He'll give you forgiveness of sin. He'll give you eternal life through Jesus Christ. And there's no greater way to show your gratefulness to Him for dying on the cross than to accept Him as your Savior.